This morning we're going to be in Matthew 14. So the passage that we're looking at will be up on the screen as well. Um, But you can get there in your Bibles. Uh, For some of you, this will be a very familiar passage of Scripture. For some of you, it might be new. Um, Either way, I'm trusting that God is going to speak to us through it today. This is one of Jesus' miracles And it comes at a very sad, hard time in Jesus' ministry. In the passage immediately before this, Jesus' cousin, Jesus gets word that his cousin, John the Baptist, um, has been beheaded. So this person is very important in Jesus' life. It's family. Um, Jesus finds out that this person has been killed. Um, And so this is a low point in Jesus' ministry, but God still uses him um, in this miracle. And especially as we talk about Thanksgiving today, I want you to remember uh, where Jesus likely is emotionally, you know, at this point in his humanity um, as he gives thanks. Um, Because this is a low point. He's here at this place of tragedy. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and read the passage. Um, We're going to begin in verse 14. Like I said, it'll be on the screen behind me too. It said, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. So at this low point, um, Jesus, as would happen from time to time, is approached by this crowd. And people in this crowd know that he has power to heal the sick. So he himself is suffering emotionally, but he ends up giving out of the power of the Spirit to this crowd, healing the sick, ministering in the crowd, as would often happen. Um, And then as the day wears on, the disciples realize they're in a remote place. These people are going to need to eat. There's literally thousands of people. There's no food here. And Jesus challenges the disciples with these words, you feed them, right? And uh, and the disciples think, that's impossible. All they have, you know, is some bread and some fish, not nearly enough to feed this crowd. And then Jesus multiplies the food. Um, Out of this passage today, there's many directions we could go with it, but I just want to reflect for a few minutes with you on the role that giving thanks plays in our lives. I was thinking about this this last week because uh, I ended up in a conversation with a friend on Sunday night about the importance of giving thanks. Um, And then, um, as the week wore on, I had some other opportunities to give thanks, Um, I hadn't dumped any of the pictures from my phone onto the cloud uh, since like the first of the year. So I had half a year's worth of pictures on my phone and I thought, I need to clear this off. You know, there's videos and pictures. Um, And so uh, as I was uploading these and organizing them, you know, Chelsea and I have albums on Google Photos. 
Um, it just kind of struck me, whoa, sorry. It just kind of struck me that, wow, this has been such a strange, weird year in so many ways, you know? And so many things are different. And on the surface, it looks like there's so many things we could complain about. Um, but as I was uploading these pictures of family and friends just from the first half of this year, uh, what the feeling I was feeling was gratitude. I was like, a lot of good has happened in 2020, you know? Um, and there's been a lot of hard things too, but if you looked at my photo albums, uh, what you would see is that God has done a lot of good things. I had pictures of my kids, pictures of ministry, pictures of friends, and all of these things represent stories where I can see that God has been at work. Um, so my heart was filled with gratitude. What that took me back to was this passage. And there's a reason why. It's because... Years ago, um, I was speaking at a camp, and for the speaking engagement, I was speaking for a few days. They had given me like a cabin on the camp property, and so I had some time while I was there speaking to pray. Um, and I was led to this passage, and I was especially struck by the way it says in this passage that when the disciples handed Jesus these few loaves and these few fish, that first he gave thanks. He gave thanks. Um, I started praying out of that passage on that day because I was getting time away to pray a lot about vision, like where God was leading us as a church or what he wanted to do through us in mission. And it was like I just felt the Lord saying that the first step was to give thanks for the little that we did have, to give thanks for the little that we did have. Now, listen, Jesus, right, is a Jewish man. Um, it would have been common practice to give thanks before they ate any food, right? Um, to consecrate that food to the Lord and to their bodies, they would have, you know, given thanks. But I don't think Jesus just does this as some kind of, like, cultural ritual. And I definitely don't think Matthew includes that detail just because it happened to happen, you know? Um, I think we're supposed to pay attention to it, that Jesus took the little that was put into his hands and started this miracle of multiplication by giving thanks for what he did have. So it just made me reflect in a new way this week on the power of gratitude in our lives and what it means for us in the season that we're in, what it means for our calling, what it means for our family on mission, what it means for what God is doing through us. So just three brief thoughts this morning. Um, first of all, thanksgiving or gratitude lets us notice the blessings of God that are around us. It lets us notice the blessings of God that are, in fact, around us. Do you notice the difference in this passage between Jesus' perception of what's happening and the disciples' perception of what's happening? Jesus sees a few loaves, a few fish, and he thinks that his Father can do something with that, right? The disciples, all they see is the lack all they see is what they don't have. Um, all they can see is the gaping distance between these hungry tummies and the food. I don't know why I just said tummies. <laughs> it's because I have a three-year-old at home. Uh, between these hungry stomachs and the food that does not seem to be present, right? All they see is the gap between these two things. Even when they notify Jesus that they're is some bread and there is some fish present in the crowd? Do you notice how they word it? There's only this much. Um, what they're seeing is the lack. I would say 
that the practice of gratitude changes that narrative in our minds and in our hearts. It flips it from what we don't have to the things that God has given us, to the blessings that are around us, even the small things, even the things that don't seem like they're enough, to still give thanks for those things. Um, I think the practice of gratitude helps us to notice that these things exist. It's possible for us to not even notice, right? It's possible for us to not even see these things. It's possible for us to not even be able to identify that God has put these small things in our lives around us. So I believe the beginning part is just noticing. Thanksgiving also makes small things places where God can work. Takes small things and makes them places where God can work. It's no surprise that Jesus believed that God could work in really small places because this was like his whole life. He was born into smallness. Um, his life was in smallness. Um, he was no big deal in and of his own, not his position in life or his status. He was of small status, small position. Um, even his death, you know, which we took time to celebrate and memorialize and receive fresh grace from again today, we have to remember that Jesus did not die the glorious death of a martyr. He died the life of an obscure criminal on the outskirts of a city. There's some sense in which things don't get any smaller than the cross. I mean, it's great to us, but that's exactly the point, that God does some of his greatest things in these really small places, that Jesus took the love and the grace of God into the small things of this life so that greatness could come out of it. And it's true for us too, that God delights in working in these small places. Um, I think when we notice, and then we're able to see that these things are blessings from God, whatever they are, then it allows us to begin to have faith that God can show up in the small things, that God doesn't need you know, hundreds of food trucks to pull up on this crowd, right, to care for all of their needs, that he can work with what is given, right, that God can do something miraculous in this small place. And there's someone who has spoken into our lives some who talked about how she went through a season where God was causing her to notice the small things that were present, not to always look at what wasn't present, but to notice the small things that were present and to believe that God could show up in these places. And she said, I kind of chuckled when she said it, but it is powerful. She said, there was a point when I was holding a napkin you know, in my house and saying, God, thank you for this napkin, you know? Thank you for this napkin. Thank you, like, thank you for giving this to me. That might seem like the foolish exercise of someone who's too optimistic or something. But that wasn't her story. She had recognized that she had not noticed where God had blessed her. And in giving thanks for those things, it opens up the door for God to do something even with napkins, right? For God to do something with the small things, for God to show up in these small places. By the way, I think this is totally the season that we find ourselves in. This is a season it would be easy only to focus on the things that we don't have, right? Only to focus on the losses, right, that this season has brought us as a church, as individuals, but God has not left us without his grace and his mercy, right? 
And God has not left us without evidence of his grace and his mercy. He has still filled our lives with blessing. And I think if we can notice and give thanks for these things, that even the smallness are places where God can work. There's an author uh, who writes some about uh, the human desire for transcendence, which is just to say our desire to be caught up in something that is bigger than ourselves or bigger than normal experience. And by the way, that desire for transcendence is something that God put into us. It's not a lie. God made us in his image and he made us for connection with him. That is to be connected with with God's love to be lifted above what we can just see with our eyes and to experience something that is far grander than our experience, right? So God has made us for this. But it's also where Satan tempts us. Um, Satan tempts us towards false experiences of transcendence. So think about what the serpent said to Adam and Eve in the garden. Don't, God doesn't want you to eat this fruit because he knows that if you eat it, you will be like God. It, it was a lie, but it was a temptation towards transcendence. It was a temptation to escape this normal reality and to experience something that felt bigger, like you're part of a bigger story or, or a bigger existence. Um, so this author says that in our culture, there are kind of three main temptations towards transcendence. One is the temptation towards the transcendence of sex. Um, sex in and of itself is an experience of transcendence, but our culture knows all too well that it's an experience of transcendence that all, uh, oftentimes leaves us unsatisfied, right? Um, it leaves us uh, not feeling like we've had enough, always wanting more, right? There's an emptiness in that search for transcendence. He says there's also the experience or the temptation of transcendence towards drugs or alcohol to use a substance to get that feeling, to use that substance to feel like we're being connected to something bigger. But God is enough. God wants to be the being, right, that draws us into a bigger story, that lifts us above this experience. So when we substitute something for him, it leaves us wanting because it's not what we were made for. But then he says that the third big temptation towards transcendence in our culture is the temptation towards the transcendence of the crowd, right? You see this in politics, you see it in sports, and you see it in church, right? Um, the feeling of being with lots of other people in the room doing the same thing seems to lift us above what feels normal, right? Um, but this author says that that is also a false, um, a false satisfaction. It always leaves us wanting. And one thing it creates in us is that when we are left alone, um, we aren't sure how to connect to that larger story, right? I would say the church in North America has preached against the temptation towards the transcendence of sex. I would say the church in North America has preached against the temptation towards the uh, transcendence of drugs and alcohol. But I would say we have fallen headlong over for the temptation to the crowd, right? Too many church leaders want that feeling of transcendence themselves and are hoping that they can get it from the crowd. I would say that it's a very cross-cultural thing, uh, and this is sorry, not cross-cultural, counter-cultural thing, um, to say that we don't need crowds to be connected to a larger story of what God is doing in us. What if God is showing up in the small places? 
What if God is showing up in the obscure places? This is what he did with Jesus. So why wouldn't he be doing it now? Um, And even today, I've been thinking about this when I think about gratitude, because we all have this desire to get back to what's felt normal before this. By the way, there probably isn't going to be going back to normal if normal is defined what things were like before this, right? Um, God is calling us into a new season, right? And I believe he's preparing his church for it. But I think there's a temptation to want to look backwards and think, oh, if we could just get to the crowd again, we could have impact. If we could just get to the crowd again, I'm going to tell you, I'm not sure that that's a fight we should fight. Jesus had crowds sometimes. He did in this passage, but there were plenty of times he didn't. And his mission was just as valuable without the crowds as with them, right? God was manifesting himself through this person, in this person, in his relationships, right? Whether or not the crowds were present. Sometimes crowds were present. Sometimes it was just him and the 12. But it wasn't any less significant. And I believe in this stage, by giving thanks for God showing up in these small places, we can have faith for God to show up in smaller gatherings. Um, We can have faith. We don't have to just wait until we can have crowds again. We can believe that God will show up in small spaces and small relationships. And in this season, God very well might be training us to learn to recognize him in smallness, right? But it begins with gratitude. This little bit of fish, this little bit of loaves, thank you, God, for this. Thank you for this. God, manifest yourself in this. It doesn't look like enough. It doesn't look like enough, but we want you to show up in this. Do you know how liberating it is to recognize that God can show up in lack, in smallness? It means that whatever you feel like you don't have at your job, God can show up in that place. Whatever you feel like you're lacking in your own abilities, it's exactly the place God can show up. Um, You might wish you had more influence or more fame, I don't know, but God can show up right where you're at right now um, and minister in those places. Thanksgiving makes small things places where God can work. And lastly, Thanksgiving lets us give away what we have. See, if we think that stuff is ours, then we're not going to give thanks for it, right? Because we don't think it came from anybody else. So who is there to thank, right? Um, And then not only are we not going to give thanks for it, but we're going to hold on to it because, well, it's ours, But if we recognize that everything has been given to us, that everything is God's blessing being poured into our lives, no matter how small it is, this little lunch here, this bread, this fish has been given by God, then it's easier for us to give it away, right? I love the way it says it in the passage. It says that Jesus had the people sit down, um, he gives thanks, And then it says, he gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the people, and they were all satisfied. Do you see how this miracle of multiplication happens when Jesus just gives thanks for the small things that are present and then gives it away because he recognized it as God's blessing anyway? God is the one who put this bread and this fish and this crowd on this day, and so he's just able to just give it away, and it keeps multiplying. See, empire teaches us that influence comes by collecting more stuff and calling it our own. That influence comes by collecting more money, by collecting more people. That a church that is influential is a church that has collected more people, right, into membership. Um, But that's not how Jesus viewed it on this day. 
Jesus' influence is defined by giving away what the Father has given in love. And I would say when we give away, we make more room for God to do the next thing. And our reach and our influence as a family on mission um, can reach as far as God's love is multiplying in relationships. Not by holding on to it, but by giving it away, right? So Thanksgiving lets us notice the blessings in the first place, the things that are present. It changes our perspective from just noticing what's missing to noticing what's there. Um, And then we believe that God can show up in these small places. And then it lets us give away what we have because it's not ours anyway, right? Um, By the way, it's this attitude of thanksgiving that begins to define our relationship with the poor, begins to define our relationship with people who have less than us. Um, See, if we think stuff really is ours, Um, then it's easy to not only hold on to our stuff, but to be judgmental of people who have less. But when we recognize that everything we have has been given to us, then we want to give it away, and we don't see ourselves as fundamentally different than people who have less than us, right? Because it's all small spaces where God is showing up to work, and we can give away his love in these places. Um, I've been thinking about our family on mission this last week because the longer this goes on, I do feel like the weariness, the waiting, like settle in on us. Um, This is a hard season. Awesome things are happening, um, even in our network, but I feel, you know, the heaviness of this season. Um, I'm feeling it too. But God was just speaking to me this last week, like, Begin to have gratitude for the small things. I'm training my people, right, to notice the small things, to have faith for the small places, and to believe that when we give away even small things, our influence, our love, our ministry reaches further than we could ever imagine. Amen?